today's reading is from Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, and it's on page 1010, if you want to look at it in the Church Bibles. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. The Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the Gospel of Christ. Lord, speak to us this morning as we complete this sermon series. As we look at how you finish your own mission by continuing it. There is a paradox there, Lord, that your mission would be continued by us, but still through you. May these words speak to us this morning. Amen. Probably don't listen back to that prayer on the podcast because I'm not sure it made quite sense. But I might come back to that at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the talk because uh, it will become very relevant. During Lent in 2023, we've been working our way through the St. Matthew's Passion. And this means that we've been working through the journey of Christ to the cross, the tomb and the garden. The Passion refers to the unfailing, everlasting love of the almighty triune God. That's a new word for me while I was studying for this sermon, triune, which I believe tri meaning three and un meaning united as one. So I think it's just a fancy word for trinity. There you are. You can go home and and write that down in your diary today. Triune. Miraculously confined in a human body, he suffered of his own volition. He chose to suffer for his beloved creation. In fact, the word passion originally meant a willingness to suffer for what you love. But it also means that we've been investigating this story through the eyes specifically of the Apostle Matthew, a tax collector He was called personally by Jesus before he was famous. His gospel is believed to have been written with some prompting from Mark's gospel, which was written pretty early on, with the additional information added uh, following the emphasis that Matthew advocated. The website, Passion of Christ, tells us, Matthew's gospel anticipates in this triumphant scene that of the death and burial of Jesus, the glory of the resurrection. Evoking Ezekiel's great vision of the dry bones, 
the evangelist proclaims that God has responded to the obedient death of Jesus by raising him and all the saints of Israel from death to new life. Earthquakes, the raising of the dead, these were all biblical signs of the end of the world. And in a very true sense, Jesus' death marked the end of a world without hope and the beginning of a new age of God's spirit. And this is why we are concluding the series with Matthew's conclusion that there is more to come, that this is not the end, to be continued. The first point here is that the story was certainly not finished at this point. It continues with the transformation of the apostles through the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the festival of Pentecost on the 50th day after Passover. And from that point on, all heaven let loose. Matthew's gospel doesn't extend to tell this story, but Dr. Luke does in the second part of his writing, which is called the Acts of the Apostles, in case you were wondering where to find it. The story does not end with the ascension of Jesus when he returns to heaven. Rather, it continues with the further work of God through the Holy Spirit and through those Jesus had discipled. He promised them that he would be with them always, never abandoning them, never being forcibly separated from them, never growing bored or tired of their company. And this wasn't the whole story, though. Not only did Jesus make a promise that he would be with them always, he also commanded them to make disciples throughout the whole world. Significantly, not just Jews. Not just the Israelites. From this point on, all of God's people were God's people. He chose each one. And an integral part of the discipleship would be the baptism in the name of the Trinity, the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's the first way in which the story was to be continued. The second way in which the story is to be continued is that it continues to this day through the work of the Holy Spirit, and through those who have been discipled by those who were discipled by the disciples of Jesus. And by this connection, Jesus' promise is made to those disciples as well, to us. We are those who are commanded to make disciples of all nations. We are those who are promised to remain in the company of God through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we should be teaching others to obey his commands. How do we do that? Well, it's important to recognise that his command to make disciples requires us to become teachers, not information deliverers. Some of you might remember teachers as being information deliverers, but anybody who now is involved in any way in the education system will know that teachers are encouraged, in fact they're even commanded, let's say, 
to do creative learning, to bring children in to an experience that will teach them what to do. We need to become teachers, not information deliverers. Wendy Widder puts it this way. The task of a teacher was to create the conditions in which learning could occur. And those conditions would be most effective when the learner had direct contact with relevant on-the-job experience. So just as we heard, if you were here for our series on uh, the rhythms of life, discipleship is something that can only be done by living that life alongside a mature follower, walking in the same shoes, sharing doubts, sharing high points, praying together, learning together, and learning how to learn from them. John Stott reminds us that making disciples is something that should happen naturally as a result of the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. The Great Commission neither explains nor exhausts nor supersedes the Great Commandment. What it does is to add to the requirement of neighbour love and neighbour service, a new and urgent Christian dimension. If we truly love our neighbour, we shall without doubt share with them the good news of Jesus. Why wouldn't you? Just as you might want to share a book recommendation or a TV box set with a friend you love, how much more would you want to share the truth of how God showed his love for us? It's way more important than a box set. Furthermore, the Great Commission to disciple and baptise in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit is not something that we should recognise only as an individual responsibility. It is individual, but that's not the whole story. Michael Goin explains it as this. The Great Commission is not a task assigned to isolated individuals. It is an identity given to a community. The corporate aspect of the Great Commission is important for discipleship because it grounds all disciple-making efforts in the community of faith, not in individuals alone. In today's society, where individuality is celebrated above all else, this idea of a joint responsibility to disciple and to baptise can seem alien. But we must embrace it. The Alpha Course, most recently run here, is a prime example of this. Christchurch as a family owned the role of discipler and will hopefully become baptiser as well. So this is not the end. God's children continue to be adopted into his family. God's word continues to be shared across all nations, including our own. God's spirit continues to hold us close, never leaving us, never being separated from us never growing bored or tired of our company. 
Before I go any further, I would like to draw your attention to a small but highly significant phrase from our reading. And if you, if you still had your Bibles open, you would be able to find it in verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Have you spotted it? But some doubted. It almost seems like a throwaway comment. But I don't believe it is at all. It was kept in for a significant reason. The beauty is that it is kept into the narrative that would make perfect sense without it. It is not necessary in order to understand the story. And yet it was considered something that should remain. Even when they were trying to reduce the word count. But some doubted is there, I believe, to reassure us and demonstrate how God's love is given unconditionally. That we have doubts does not exclude us from the commission or the promise. The fact that some of Jesus' apostles doubted, and this is even after Thomas's story of doubt and how they all like kind of look down their noses at him because how ridiculous that he should be doubting. Here they are doubting. They were still included in this event. And remember, this is the 11. This is not one of those stories where we're talking about 72 disciples or 480 disciples and some of them doubting. This is the 11. Some of them doubted. No matter how silly we feel when we doubt, no matter how worried it makes us, no matter how much we don't want to share it because everybody else seems to be doing okay, we are in good company. The disciples who doubted still went on to do incredible things in the name of their Saviour and Lord. They still made disciples and baptised them. They still loved the Lord their God with all their hearts, with all their souls, and with all their minds, and with all their strengths. And they loved their neighbours as themselves. Their doubts were recognised as transitory. They did not separate them from the love of God, and neither will ours. So, to return to our title, To Be Continued, as the co-commissioned, we are on a cyclic journey of being disciples and discipling others. Being disciples and discipling others. We're called to share the good news and to disciple while continuing our own discipleship. The story continues through the apostles, through the centuries, through us, through the Holy Spirit, and through the ages to come. And so, in response to this command, what will you do? Will you seek to serve by making disciples, living out the joy of our redemption alongside those who still need to receive it? Will you hold on to the promise that we are never abandoned by God, that he will be with us always? Will you continue to obey even when you doubt? Will you work corporately with the whole of the church? and especially with our church family in Osset, to claim this commission as our identity.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are doubters. We wonder. We overthink. We struggle with what-ifs. Through your spirit, you are with us always and forever. Help us to claim your promise and obey your commands, living out our joy and faith for those yet to find it, working together with all your children to share this blessed identity in you and through you. Amen. In response to those questions that I just asked, I would like to allow time for as many of us who are willing to be prayed for. Therefore, I suggest that each person turns to a neighbour and asks them whether they would be happy to be prayed for as they disciple those around them day by day. If they are happy, go ahead and pray for them. And hopefully they will also pray for you too. For anyone who doesn't really know what to pray, there'll be a prayer suggestion on the screen. But don't feel you have to use that one. This is where I come back to my rather bewildering prayer at the beginning of this talk. Whatever you say out loud, God hears the words of your heart. And he will respond to that prayer however inarticulate it feels. And I swear I didn't set that up. (laughs) It really was just not a very well-worded prayer. But God hears the words of our hearts and he responds. It's our spirit that speaks to his spirit. So let's pray for one another as we feel able. And that prayer suggestion is on the screen.